Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that we put out that's a compilation of all the board games that all these content creators have been playing. And on this episode are definitely a board game podcast, The Meeple Dungeon, Friday Night Games, The Cardboard Kid, Dice and Dragons, Mr. Board Games, The Tabletop Bellhop, and Cardboard Conjecture. Take the time to have a look at the show notes to see the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And enjoy! Hello, I am A. Aaron Millich. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games, except when they're not. And here we are on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Royce. Mamas! Is that what? Uh, he beat me to Mamas. it. He, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask. What's Mamas. Your, <laughs> you know what? To hell with it. Just tell them. Llamas. Yeah, llamas. Go ahead. All right. So this is not deja vu. Yes, I talked about llamas like two weeks ago or last week. And yes, I talked about llamas like time. a few weeks before that. Yeah. I talked about Sabotage at Lucky Llama Land. Yeah. And then I talked about just Llama Land, but not Sabotage at Lucky Llama Land. But this is not Sabotage <laughs> at Lucky Llama Land or Llama Land. This is Llama. Why do they want us on this show? <laughs> Go ahead. Llamas. That's we why. bring llamas. Yeah. No one else brings llama. All right. So let's talk about llama. Llama was All a right. speed. Jars nominated game uh, by Dr. Reiner Knizia. It came out from Amigo in 2019. It is a very light, very simple card shedding game like Uno or something like that. Uh, you're playing out cards. You can, they're basically the cards are numbered one to six plus llama card. Uh, and then you're playing out the cards and basically you are trying to play the same number as what's on the deck or one higher the llama being one higher than six and one lower than one. So basically you go one, two, three, four, five, six llama, 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 one, two. Anyway. All right. <laughs> <laughs> He's in a time so, loop. Yeah. On your t- on your turn, you can either play a card, draw a card or pass. If you pass, you're out for that round. Whoever finishes their hand first gets a little point bonus. In addition to that, they are... Uh, they everybody else scores points based on what's left in their hands. One of the cool things, it's based on how many different cards are in your hands. So if you have like five of the same card, five fours, you only get four points. But if you have a four, five, and a six, you're going to end up with 15 points. So it, you really want to kind of narrow your deck down before you pass but if you narrow your deck down too much then you can't go out it's a really it's kind of fun it's neat there's some decisions not a not heavy but you know it's a fun game and it's also available on board game arena so if you want to just try it give it a shot 
Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like my kind of game instead of your kind of game. Usually, yeah. And I, I, it still is. I don't think I'm going to pick up a copy myself, although I enjoyed playing it. But this was a game that Jeff brought out for us and basically said, let's play this without ever having seen it. And we were all able to learn it while playing, which is usually a sign of a good, simple game. Nice. Yeah. Sounds good. So also, that, that means if you... Yeah. Keep saying that. Uh, if you've been buying every single game we talk about, you'll now have three Llama games in your collection. Thank you, Royce. Yeah. Plus Altiplano, which has alpacas. And four. Which are closely related to the llama. Yeah. Just gets worse. All right. My game, it has no llamas in it whatsoever. This automatically makes it an inferior game. (laughs) This game is by Brent Povis. Two Lantern Games, 2012. It's called Morales. Oh, wait. I like this game. See, you do like this <laughs> Even game. It doesn't have llamas. Yeah. I bought this game because it's a two-player game. And as we know, two-player games are very popular during COVID. I also bought this game because it has mushrooms in it. And uh, I love mushrooms. I love eating them. And I thought any game about mushrooms is a game for me, whereas apparently llamas are a game for you. Um, I love this game a lot. We only played it once, played at the cottage of my wife and I, and we loved it immediately. She really liked it immediately, which is a good sign. Um, there's, uh, it's, I wouldn't say heavy. It's definitely, it's definitely got a lot of strategy. Uh, basically what you're doing is you're taking mushroom cards from the forest. Uh, there are rules about which cards you can take. You can also take cards from what they call the decay, which is basically the forest floor. Uh, the object of the game is to cook mushrooms. And as you cook mushrooms, you get points. You can also sell mushrooms. Uh, and of course, if you're going to cook a mushroom, you have to have a pan to cook them in. So pans come into the game. Lots of strategy, lots of, uh, you know, when to choose this mushroom or that mushroom as the mushrooms kind of go along the uh, the, the forest floor. Uh, lots of rules to remember, um, but lots of fun. Very challenging great two-player game in fact i would say it's probably my top three for two-player games and i can't believe it's been around for nine years and i'm only discovering it now why didn't you tell me about it royce oh i don't know Uh, this has actually been one of grace and i's favorite games for a very long time Uh, we have one of the very first copies that were ever done it's actually got hand carved pieces by the designer Uh, so he was when he was doing the first bunch he did some hand carved pieces I, i I love this game. It feels, it just feels so relaxing. It's like a walk in the woods and you're just, it does have choices, but you know, those choices aren't hard. You know what you want to do and you're just making those choices. One thing you didn't mention that's important is that all of the mushrooms have differing values. Yeah, that's right. And there are different numbers of each mushroom. So like the morel mushroom, the king of mushrooms is the highest point value, but there's only three of them in the entire deck and you need three to cook. Exactly. Yeah. So if you don't get every single morel, you're going to be in trouble. And then, to couple with that, you pick up the first two, but your hand size is very limited. Yeah, eight cards. And it's very difficult to have those sets in your hand. So if you picked up two morels, mm-hmm. oh, if that, that you, you don't get that third one, you've wasted a lot of opportunities to try to get that third one. 
And there's a little bit of the other person going, oh, he's going after the morels, huh? All right, let's see what I can do to hurt him here. Yeah. And there are some toxic mushrooms, the death cap mushroom, when it falls in, you sort of have it in there with it. Yeah, great game. Love morels. In fact, I actually have an expansion for it that allows you to play it with four players. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I love how you describe this as a as a relaxing game. And then you just talked about all that, which re- reminded me of all the stress I felt when I played this <laughs> game. So uh, two differing opinions on the mood of the game. But uh, uh, what, yeah, also it was interesting how, how many of the mushroom names Marilyn, my wife, knew because she has gone mushroom picking. Yep. And yep. I had never heard of any of them. <laughs> so I, it was a the learning forager, experience for me. Is she? Yeah, she is. She yeah. is. That explains where she found you. Right. <laughs> oh, I fell into that one. Well, yep. <laughs> if you like terrible jokes like that, you should listen to us on our own show. Definitely a board game podcast. You can find us anywhere podcasts live. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, all the ones out there that we're everywhere. And of course, if you want to talk to us, I'm not sure why you'd want to, but why not? Definitely board at gmail.com. Find us at Twitter at board. Definitely at definitely board on Facebook. And we have a guild at board game geek, definitely board game podcast. And right now, Oh, I don't know. Is the survey going on right now when they hear this? Right. Yeah, the survey will be on for a few more weeks. Nice. Okay. So we have a survey going on. Check it out. You'll find the links. Check out our survey, do the survey, and then you'll be entered into a contest to win a $50 gift card to your favorite local board game store. So why wouldn't you? Exactly. Royce, anything else? Llamas! Please say goodbye, Royce. Goodbye, Royce. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the Watchmen Playing Wednesdays podcast. And today we have a couple games to talk about. And what's the first game we're going to talk about, Anna Marie? The first game we're talking about is Dimension. It is designed by, forgive me on this, Lauge Luchao. Yeah, I think that's right. Lauge Luchao. And published by Cosmos. Yeah, Cosmos. Uh, this is uh, Dimension. It's one of our favorite dexterity games yeah i yeah this is like <clears throat> mind is, mind melting dexterity yeah, not a lot of <laughs> we don't know a lot of people that have this or a lot of people that have played this but it's it's a really cool uh timed dexterity game where you're using little balls um this is one game where the timer makes sense Absolutely. And I like it. Yeah, no, the timer works really good for this game. Yeah. So let's give them a basic rundown of what we're doing here. So to set up the game, you're going to have a little tray in front of you, and it's going to have five different colored balls on it and three of each of those five so got colored balls. 15 There's, spheres in total. Yeah, white, orange, blue, green, and black. Yes. And then in the middle of your little player board. There are board, little slots where you can hold all of the spheres. Yeah, they're, they're kind of held in individual yeah. little troughs so they don't roll away (laughs) but then in the middle of your board there are seven little holes that can hold on to these balls so um what the object the object of the game is to stack these balls but given certain guidelines yeah you want to get as many as you can um if you get all of them stacked you would have 11 in total because you can have seven on the bottom layer three on the middle and one on the top yeah so if you can get them all stacked properly you'd have 11 
total stacked. Yeah, because on every turn of the game, you are going to draw six random cards out of the deck. And these these cards are going to reveal very different um, rules that you must follow for that particular game. So, for instance, some of them will say that you can't have a certain colored ball on top of... Any of them. It, well, of any... Or it could be a, any any other color. It could be a single color. It could be no. All when the it's colors. when it's on top, there's like the on top and on bottom. It's like orange can't be on top of anything. Oh, and then or, or like, you could have a card saying blue can't be below anything. Yeah. So, and then you could have a card that says green must touch black. Um, then you could have a card that limits how many of a certain color. So one that says you can only have two blue car uh, balls in your stack. Uh, some cards that say you must have more of a certain color than another color and then other types of cards that say you cannot have two certain colors touching each other you can't yeah. have any white touching any and blue also in that one where you know, you're saying you ha- like you must have a certain number of you know say two blues or whatever they also have ones that um they have the sum of let's say orange and blue must be exactly four so they'll give you a number and then w- when you're making your um, like pyramid of of balls here, you can't you like to satisfy that stipulation. You have to have it could be you know three orange and one blue. It could be two yep. orange and two blue, or one orange and three blue. All of those would satisfy it, but just the combination has to be exactly four. Yeah. So and then so once you've gone through a round, you're going to flip the little, or you're going to flip a timer over, and you're going to have these these rules in front of you, and you're going to go and you're going to take all the balls and you're going to start stacking them in in piles and moving them around. And then tearing it down because you realize that you made a mistake somewhere. <laughs> and then you're rethinking it because whatever you're doing is not working. And then by the time the timer's up, you got to see, hopefully you have 11 balls stacked up. Yeah. Um, or as many as possible following the rules that were given to you. And then you score out So yeah, those, you, those things that you satisfied. How you score them is for every sphere, every ball that you have played out, you get one so like a coin let's just say right like yeah, a one point token tokens link. yeah so they each all they're all worth one so if you let's say if you built a full stack you'd have a let you'd get 11 tokens then um let's say you only built a stack of like the bottom layer you'd get seven because you only filled in seven then uh, you go through each one of the six stipulations and see if you satisfied it or not and so right for Every one that you did not do, so let's say orange couldn't be on top of anything, but you forgot and you have an orange on top, well, now you have to take away two of the points that you got. Right, yes. And so you do that for all six of them. So you could end up, if you didn't satisfy any of them, you could end up with technically like one point less than (laughs) what you started. So that's why it's not necessarily the best to like stack all the way up to 11. Mm -hmm. You might only get, you know, part way up, but it's how all in how you figure it out. But you're timed and you're trying to go fast. That's the thing. It's super stressful. It's really good. Because you only have, I think it's a 60 second timer. And it's, oh, it's so stressful, especially when you realize when you've got it sitting there in your stack and you realize, oh, no, what I've done there in the middle, yes. that's not going to work at all. And you have to tear it all down and rethink it. And you're running out of time and you're just starting to throw balls into the stack. And yeah. then you just kind of hope that you did all right. 
But yeah, and yeah, it's stressful, but it's really, really fun. It's and, a fun uh, little party game. In, just... It's it's really a genius little game. Like it's really, really good. I guess we I discovered even say this. this is party. This is just a fun little. Yeah, no, game. I wouldn't even say it's a party no. game. It's just a fun dexterity game. Yeah. And we yeah we discovered this at a Terminal City, I believe, yeah. back in the day. Yeah, and we we brought it home with us, and we've played for years now. I love it. But yeah, highly recommend Dimension from Cosmos. But we got one other game to mention. And mention, we've... yeah. <laughs> what did I say? You said mention. Oh. I was just agreeing with you. Oh, yes. Yes, we're going to mention <laughs> uh, that we've also been playing Ankh, oh. Gods of Egypt from Simon Games, from the one and only uh, Eric Lang. And uh, this game is Spoiler something alert. It's else. great. <laughs> it's really good. But we're, uh, we, we recorded a full review of it in our latest podcast episode. So if you want to head over there after you've listened to this episode to hear all about Ankh and several other things that we've been Up looking to. at and playing and doing, <laughs> um, you could do so. That'd be great. We really appreciate the support. Um, but yeah, we got to run. Um, and we will catch you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hey, Matt and John here from Friday Night Games, and you can find us on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, our website, FridayNight.Games, and TikTok at Friday Night Games. What are we talking about today on What You've Been Playing Wednesday, Matt? Well, we play a lot of party games. Uh, just uh, plugging out ourselves again, we have a party game podcast coming up this week, so definitely check that out. But uh, we we played, should we talk about Masterword? I that, that's what I thought we were talking about. No, we're gonna talk about Cards Against Humanity. I haven't even played Cards Against Humanity <laughs> with you. I don't even remember the last time I yeah, played we did. Cards Michaela. Against Humanity. Michaela last year, uh, she brought like she had like she okay. So Michaela of her group is like the Cards Against Humanity collector. She will <laughs> she has owns everything. She yeah. had like something called like the red box. I never even heard of the red box. It was like there's a is there other colors? Is there a blue box? I don't know. Anyway, she has this box. We played it. But we're going to talk about that. Let's do it. Okay. How do you play Cards sure. Against Humanity? Uh, you deal a bunch of cards to people, and one person uh, plays a card and says, uh, the blank has the biggest blank in the house. And then people have to lay cards down to fill in those blanks, whichever one's funnier. Yeah, like, so for instance, I might lay down two cards and it will say the host has the biggest board game in the house. Yeah, I probably wouldn't pick that. That's not funny? No. I would would pick something more like dirty. Oh, yeah. Well, most people would, but yeah. yeah. Dick and fart jokes. Yeah, people love it. Yeah. Uh, Uh, You don't seem very enthusiastic about talking about this. Are you okay? I just don't think Cards Against Humanity is <laughs> a game worth talking about, if I'm being honest. Uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's not a good game. Um, I mean, all the backstory of everything that happened last year with, like, the owner or creator of the game just being a sleaze bucket just, like, turned me off of the game, and, like, I just, I don't know. Yeah, we're don't making, want to support it. We're making know? what you play Wednesdays controversial by even talking yeah. about this. I yeah. think so. Sorry, wow. sorry, everybody. <laughs> so, what do you want to talk about with Cards Against Humanity? Since you know you're so uh, an advocate, all the I way. actually just like watching your face whenever <laughs> I mention it because you actually stare at me and you have like this like it's like partially annoyance, 
partially like this isn't a game and also like <laughs> why are we talking about this i just like getting that out of you i'm trying to get yeah. that rise out of you that rise you know what there's there's many games like cards against humanity i'd rather play like joking hazard maybe mm-hmm. i'd even play like what you what you meme yes which uh you will hear about in our podcast this week. yeah uh i don't know it, it's it, it, yeah. I, could, I don't know. It could be. That, good. That's my thoughts. <laughs> they, they, did, they did release a bunch of them. It was like Cards Against Muggles, which is like Harry Potter version, and they released like a Game of Thrones version. Yeah, but recently. I don't even think that's them releasing it. I think that's someone copying Cards Against Humanity, doing copyright infringement, and all these things. It's a big mess. You know what? There's no I, way Disney's going to give up some. Going to allow that um, uh, IP. That IP. To be in a game like that, yeah, right? I don't know, yeah, I don't, I don't know, dude, I, I don't know. I just saw it. It's on a four hundred one games. That's not. Uh, yeah, a plug. that blows my mind. <laughs> I'm like, how is this being mass produced and no one's getting sued? But hey, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I don't know. I don't know, man. This is just. Can I just create a game and says like, yeah, let's make cards. Cards against, against what you've been playing Wednesday. Sure, cards against wingspan and be like. Oh no, Jamie Stegmaier would not allow you to do that. Uh, he, he would sue me right away. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for listening. <laughs> uh, Matt and John here, Friday Night Games. If you uh, check us out on stuff, <laughs> uh, you can check us out on our Instagram, Friday Night Game on our store official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, TikTok at Friday Night Games, and our website, Friday Night Games. Thanks again. See ya. Hi everyone, I'm the Cardboard Kid. If you don't know me, I'm 11 years old and I've reviewed games on YouTube since April 2017. I've close to 300 reviews, plus dozens of interviews and features. My latest was the key murder at the Oakdale Club, but I've been taking a break because of school and other things. Oh, and these plays have been over the past few weeks. Our 2021 plays are already a third of our usual amount, but with school starting, we've been playing even less. I'm a huge fan of Dice Throne, and our family enjoy co-op adventures, so we backed Dice Throne Adventures on Kickstarter. After playing it five times, I'm fine never playing it again. It's not an especially good co-op, it's not an especially interesting dungeon crawl, and it adds a bunch of upkeep that slows down all of the fast-paced action of Dice Throne. This was a huge disappointment from Roxley, one of our favorite publishers, a Canadian one too. We wrapped up all six plays of Disney Villainous's Base Box, and I still think it's great. It's a shame for fans of the series that Prospero Hall are killing it with Funko games now. Prospero Hall makes such good games. This is so obvious with Marvel Villainous and the latest Disney Villainous box. Ravensburger are making them in-house, and oof. We played Dice Miner five times, and it's pretty good. I wasn't a big fan of the solo game, although I could see others loving it. We played it at 4-2, but I feel 3 is the sweet spot of tactics and strategy. It's a dice drafting game with a bit of push-your-luck and set collection, and yeah, not bad. I feel it's a little too light to keep me hooked, but I'm glad I played it. Grandma seemed to like it quite a bit. We played on tour twice over the weekend. It's a rock and roll and write where you create a path across the United States for your band. It's a bit of a flip and roll and write, actually. Flip three multi-use cards to see what states and regions you can work with, then roll the two dice. 
If you rolled a 6 and a 2, you write 26 and 62 in two of the three cards' locations. It's only a little over a half hour and pretty fun. I'd kind of forgotten about it, to be honest, so it was nice to play it again. There is a ton of replayability in the Artemis project, and new strategies develop because of this highly tactical game. Every turn has game elements that change, and then you're reacting to where your opponents placed their dice, what you rolled, and yeah, I think this could overwhelm a lot of people. I don't know if even I want to play it with three others. Still, there are always simple options to take if needed, and you can mitigate luck. It also has good table presence. I enjoy it quite a bit so far. With our friend Norm unable to join us for a D&D, Dad introduced us to the Worldwide Wrestling RPG. We have our own promotion, International Wrestling Alliance, and each of us have our own wrestlers. I'm Anani Mo, the mysterious luchador, Mums Mama Bear, the trucker from Michigan, Ariel's Archon the World Ender from a pure black void. Norm hasn't given us the bio for his character yet, the moderate warrior. Dad says it's a reference to something. I'll take his word on it. There are a few NPWs to flesh out the company. There's a lot more storytelling in this game than I thought there would be. This is jam-packed with storylines and fast-paced action. Fantastic. That's about all for now. If you want to see photos and updates on what I'm playing, follow me on Twitter at Cardboard underscore Kid. For weekly reviews, check out my YouTube channel, The Cardboard Kid. Please stay safe. Happy gaming! What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dyson Dragons, and on Twitter at Dyson Dragon. And what day is it today, Julie? It's What You've Been Playing Wednesdays, and oh. we have been playing City Builder Ancient World, designed by Andre Philip and illustrated by Andrew Dorland. That's what it feels like to be Jason, because normally Jason says all these things. <laughs> and it is published by Inside Up Games. This is a review copy that we got from them. A great Canadian publisher. Yeah, after playing this game, I think I can say they're great. That's a little bit of a spoiler for my thoughts on the game, but you know, gotta support the local boys and when it's a fun game, it's even better. So I'm going to do my best to explain how to play City Builder Ancient World. The scoring is rather simple, but complicated to explain verbally without any type of visual representation. But first, Jason, can I mention that this is a competitive and cooperative game? Yes. That's in intended for ages eight and above, and I believe it's two to four players. Correct? Yes, and plays within 30 to 60 minutes. And at two players, we can say it is definitely a 30 minute game, which is really cool and something that we really enjoy because we don't have as much time as we used to. Okay, now what, how do we play, Jason? Well, if you're familiar with Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig, this is a tile placement game. You'll be placing tiles that have houses and landmarks on them. There are also statues, which count as wilds for landmarks. You must meet specific requirements in order to be able to place settlers into your city or monuments. Now, the monuments will do different things and will come out randomly during the game. The settler boards will be constructed randomly. Essentially, what you do is you draw different colored settlers from the bag. The only color that is consistent is the purple, which marks the midway point uh, between the board. 
Underneath the sellers are different point values. So what you're going to be doing is trying to place them into the empty homes. You need to match the settlers with the monuments that they like. So blue monument with the blue settlers in order to place them into your completed city districts that are now ready for your settlers to move into. Now, what's interesting is you score points based on where the last settler is in the row. So if you go past that midway point, past the purple, you'll be essentially dipping into your opponent's point pool and you have two settler tracks that you'll be working from in a two-player game you've got two between you in a three or four player game you're going to have them set up between the other players so you have one settler board with the player on your left and one with the player on your right now the player with the most points will then win the game i actually think i got that out fairly clearly and i'm actually kind of impressed with myself can i have a round of applause yay okay so Julie, your thoughts on this game? <laughs> so uh, we, we actually made a few mistakes the first time we played it. Um, it took us a few games uh, to actually figure out what we were doing uh, wrong. And I don't know that that's uh, the necessarily the instructions are just us not quite understanding. Uh, but that being said, it just wasn't quite clear because you can place multiple settlers and multiple monuments that is made very clear by the reference cards. Just the phrasing does not make it the most clear. The rule book states that once you place a settler the next one is immediately available it should just say once you place a settler the next one is immediately available you can place as many as you can during your turn that just you know it's just like one well, that was at least our interpretation of it and how we played it last so i mean the well that is the interpretation and it is clearly in the rule books and the reference cards okay uh so I mean, I would say one thing it has definitely going for it is it's it's a quick game to play, which is like you said uh, at the beginning, it's it's definitely what one of the things we're looking for in a game right now with the amount of time that we have to invest in a game. The other thing I would say though is that we um, at, at least it's it's hard to tell how you're doing on the uh, on the scoring uh, because we both felt like we were losing the the last game. Uh, and that we were coming from behind and uh it, well in the end you beat me in with the monument those monuments definitely have an impact uh, and it's something not to be uh how can i say uh it, slept on <laughs> no i was going to say not to be uh omitted from the strategy uh because uh i really had the most number of sellers and royals uh, but i still uh you still managed to beat me because you had monuments and they're not as easy to place as you might think because you really have to have the right resources to be able to place them you can't just have the right space and in my case i just wasn't getting the cards to be able to make the space required for a monument and i just want to correct myself i think at the end of my explanation i said monuments when i meant to say landmarks or colored landmarks on the tiles that are related to the settlers and the placement of the monuments which as julie was stating are what score you points so sorry for that uh mistake that we made so i mean this is it's been fun i i enjoyed it when you were explaining it to me the first time i was like what is this going to be uh you know the one thing is there's definitely a lot of uh, there's a fair amount of randomness to it because the tiles that you're getting uh, you only have three tiles in your hands at a time and um you know they're you're basically trying to place shapes as well as the different resources so it it can be a little frustrating and i think that's the one thing i would say about the, this last game that we played is that i didn't feel in the other games this time the cards 
boards. The tiles just weren't coming up in my favor, and it was it was pretty frustrating. Yeah, but you still scored your highest point total. Yeah, you still ever. beat me by six points with that because monument. Because I pulled three monuments when I realized you were starting the race ahead after I built a giant district that I really should not have built. It just got out of hand, and I didn't even play settlers in, I think, 50% of it. So you got to keep that in mind. You really want to be strategic in your placements, and that's where uh, things can get away from you when you're trying to get those purples down because you need all four landmarks for the noble houses with the purples and you need three landmarks for the regular settlers and we didn't mention it to place the nobles you need uh, also two landmarks of the same color so it can get tricky you got to be really strategic in this game but i really like how quickly it plays and we've had a lot of fun and i can definitely see it falling into that one hour time frame with four players so you can check out our review that's coming out uh, the day after this uh, for more details and we'll have played the cooperative mode by then. Yes. So this was only the competitive mode we talked about. And on that note, we're going to remind everybody to keep, keep playing, playing games. games. What's going on, folks? It's R with Mr. Board Games Lonely Table. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Underscore Lonely Table. You can also check us out on YouTube by searching Mr. Board Games. So this week, you just get R. Nam decided she would be go back to Ontario to spend some time with her family because some of them were having birthdays and she wanted to visit her family, and that was kind of and her family's a, a really big deal. I just can't figure out why she would choose family over board games. Can you believe that? Like, wow. Family over board games. Who does that? Board games are life, aren't they? Oh, but then again, you know what? You know what? You know what? Actually, what brings families and friends together? Board games play friends and families together. That's what happens. So you should totally get your friends. You should totally get your family. Bring them all together and play some more board games. Buy some more board games. Explore some more board games. Board games are great. And that is why we're here, actually. So, this week is What You've Been Playing Wednesday. And I know we have been absent for some time, but things hopefully will change. But, you know, life has gotten in the way of stuff. And, you know, we actually can't make board games our life. But we would totally love to make board games your life because board games are life. I'm sure by now I have convinced you board games are life and I am probably running a cult and that's not good. Let's get on and stop digressing. So this week is What You've Been Playing Wednesday. And although we haven't been playing many games and getting things in, we do squeeze in the occasional game for fun. And this time around, we sat down and we pulled out our uh, one of our adventure games by Thames and Cosmos. Uh, the specific one we've been looking at is the Volcanic Island. That's the new one that we have been uh, looking at and been giving it a go. It's got four chapters, but we're on chapter three right now. Uh, Thames and Cosmos brought us the fantastic exit games. You know, we've played those greatly and we've enjoyed them. But Adventure Games is a complete stray from that. And they have a few of them out there and we've played them all. So the way that Adventure Games works out, unlike your typical escape room you are there to discover a story. You download this nifty little app and you and you let that do the reading or you can read from the adventure book inside. 
We prefer the app because that way there's no spoilers and that's exactly what's going to happen today. No spoilers. So the way that Adventure Game works out is you put a card down, you put your little figures on it, and then there's going to be numbers on it. It's going to be a picture, but there's going to be numbers like, you know, 100, 102, 231. And then you go to the app and you say, I want to go check out, you know, 102. So then you put in 102 in the app. And then this narrator voice totally reads what's going on in the book, in the passage. And it, it paints a story. It's not an escape room. Like, there is some puzzles, but they're near basically non-existent and very, very weak compared to an actual exit the game. However, it's a fun story. I'm not going to go as far as saying it's a choose-your-own-adventure because there's a pretty straightforward beginning and end. You have to go to the stuff and you sort it out. But the point is you get to enjoy the story and you get to check out like uh, the, the fantastic work that they put into it. Um, there's a couple choices, but at the end of the day, it's it's going to be the same ending, I think. Uh, it plays in about 75 minutes or more. It's got one to four players, and like I said, there's four chapters in the volcanic island. And as it kind of describes here, in this cooperative story-based game, you and your team assume the roles of four college students who take on an unusual research assignment on a volcanic island. And then, you, like I said, you explore the locations, and things get pretty trippy or weird in this story it's it's a fun stray let's go with that it's a fun little stray it's a fun little tackle thing i think there's four of them out now four adventure games uh we've played all of them um i'm pretty sure we've played all of them maybe there's only three and we intend to look into the further ones the other exit games because exit has been a great game um but yeah right now that's that's what we were playing that's what we finished up uh just before she left on to go on on a little trip away. Uh, like I said, we're still got one more story to go. We'll see how it goes, but we're not sharing it. We just want to play it. Um, so yeah, so sorry guys, we've been, you know, kind of missed out a little bit because we haven't been as active and we'd like to be. But hopefully this is a, a new turn and hopefully we can get some more stuff out. Maybe our schedules will line up. Uh, so that's all I can really say here at this time. As always, you know, we appreciate you checking out the Cardboard Conjecture. We appreciate you sitting through my mundane talk. Um, hopefully you'll hear more of us, or maybe you don't want to hear us, and you should totally tell them that we don't want Mr. Board Games on there because, you know, whatever. Don't say that, though, because we, we enjoy doing this when we actually get a chance to play. Just help us out, okay? Um, so, yeah, until next time, you may not, it won't be just me. You'll get M back. You'll get the full Mr. But for now, you get R, and he's okay. Um, so until next time, my friends, remember, you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Underscore Lonely Table. That's at MR underscore Lonely Table. And you can also check us out on YouTube. You just got to search Mr. Board Games in the search bar, and you should find our videos. Most of them are named Mr. Board Games Plays, Mr. Board Games Explains, etc. Should be pretty easy to find us. Hopefully we'll get more content out there. And for those who have checked us out in the past, awesome. Thank you. Hopefully we get to give you some more stuff. And until next time, everybody, enjoy the rest of the episode and keep your dice on the table. Have a good one, everyone. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. 
I am Mo Tuzano, the tabletop bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. If you've got a gaming or game night question for me to answer, email me at questions at tabletopbellhop.com or visit our webpage at tabletopbellhop.com and click on Ask the Bellhop at the top of the page. You can also find me all over social media as tabletopbellhop, one word. Now, the question I'm answering today is, of course, what you've been playing this past week. Well, this week I played far, far too much Draconis Invasion, taught my wife and mother-in-law Castles of Burgundy, tried Roll Camera for the first time, and have been playing a lot of patchwork on Board Game Arena. Let's start off with the Draconis Invasion Marathon. So where possible, I try to make sure my podcast co-host, Sean, actually gets to play the games I'll be reviewing on the show. While he works great as a straight man if he hasn't gotten to try a game, we found our reviews get much better if he's able to offer up his own perspective of a game. To that end, Sean's been trying to make it down to Windsor about once a month, and when he does, we usually try to fit in as much gaming as we can and try to get everything we currently have on the pile of obligation played before he leaves, which doesn't always work. Now, you may remember me talking about the inaugural Sean Con a few weeks back. Well, that was one of these trips where he was actually down for multiple days, so we got a ton of gaming in. That's not quite what happened this past weekend. So when he was down this week, one of the big things on our pile of obligation is the Wrath expansion for the deck-building card game Draconis Invasion. This is a 12-part campaign expansion where you open up sealed packs of cards, which each adds new things to the game. These include new starting hand defending cards, defender cards, new basic action cards, new invaders to fight, new events, new campaign cards, and more. Now, each new set of cards also features a short story and a setup for you to play through. And these setups always feature the new cards that were just added to the game. So it's a way to slowly add in this expansion while telling an ongoing story. Well, the reason we played so much Draconis Invasion this weekend is that we decided we wanted to review the game on our next live show, and that's tonight. So we had to get through everything in one weekend. While we did manage it, including one day where we played Draconis Invasion for 13 hours straight, not counting food breaks, I don't recommend anyone else do this. Take your time. Play through one to three scenarios, then come back to the game later and play through a couple more. Spread it out. Now, on a positive note, the fact we are willing to sit through that many games in a row just shows how enjoyable this game can be. That said, this expansion has some serious problems, the biggest of which I want to highlight here. And that's the fact that once we got to scenario five, the expansion suddenly required promo cards to be able to play. Don't do this, publishers. You should never, ever require someone to have a limited edition promo card to use your expansion. Once we reached this point, I was tempted to put the game away. I would have been on the live show tonight saying, no, I cannot recommend the Wrath expansion for Draconis Invasion unless you happen to be one of the few people who backed the Kickstarter and got the promo card add-ons, because otherwise, this is a broken, useless box of cards you can only play through the four scenarios. Now, thankfully, Sean has more patience than me, at the time at least, and managed to find a post by the designer on BoardGameGeek that did recognize this issue and offer up substitutions. So we were able to continue to play. And we did. We finished up the entire box. But I still find this unforgivable. If there had been something in the instructions saying, hey, if you didn't happen to back the Kickstarter and don't have these cards, all you got to do to sub these, it's not unplayable, that would have been fine. Without that, though, Someone who doesn't know that board game exists, right? Like we're power gamers. We're listening to game cut. You listen to board game podcasts. You go to board game websites. You can find this information. If you just pick this up off a game store shelf and brought it home, you'd have a useless product with more than half a box filled with cards you couldn't use. 
Now, I do have a lot more to say about Wrath for Draconis Invasion, including a final thoughts on whether you should pick it up or not, but that's going to have to wait for tonight's live show, which hits at 9 p.m. on Twitch at twitch.com slash, or sorry, switch.tv slash tabletop bellhop. Or you can just check out our next podcast episode, which goes live Tuesday, which will feature that review. Now, next up, moving away from Draconis. Sean noticed that Castles of Burgundy, the Castles of Burgundy, the classic dice-driven Steffenfeld tile-laying game, is now on Board Game Arena. And as soon as we did, we started up a three-player game with Sean, Deanna, and I. That's when Deanna discovered she had never played this game. Now, Steffenfeld's her favorite designer, and I own, I think, 10 different Feld games, and I thought she had played them all. We've actually owned this game, and I've been a fan of it since 2011. But what happened there is that her second daughter was born in 2010 and would have been like one year old at the time or months old. And while at that time, Deanna was staying home with the kids and it was me who was going out to local gaming events. So somewhere in all that time between then and now, she just never sat down and played Castles of Burgundy. Meanwhile, if I'd asked her if she played, she's like, oh yeah, I played that one. It just wasn't my favorite. Nope, we were wrong. She had never actually tried the game. So to rectify this problem, I brought the game over for our Sunday visit with her mom and sister and I taught Deanna and Brenda how to play. Now, I know a lot of people consider the Castles of Burgundy to be the best Steffenfeld game. And I'm sorry, I can't agree with that. And that's 100% due to graphic design and production issues and nothing to do with the gameplay of Castles of Burgundy. While I love the game, I hate the fiddliness and setup involved at the start and every round of Castles of Burgundy. So many little chits to shuffle, sort, and place every round. I've even gone so far as to try to improve this by putting the tiles that have to be randomized into opaque bags, and it's still annoying. Then with three players, you also have that one tile swap that swaps between a castle and a mine every round, and you gotta remember that. More added fiddliness. And then there's the terrible iconography, and having to teach or remind players what every yellow tile does as it comes out, and every building what, it, what they mean and what they do. Like, doing that at the start of the round helps too, right? Like, you've now told everyone everything is, but even when playing... There's always at least one round. Inevitably, someone's like, wait, what's this tile do again? So you're constantly referencing the rulebook and looking stuff up and trying to figure out what the icons are. The buildings are too small on the city tiles and they look similar. Like, couldn't you have just made all the roofs a different color? The icons on the boards do help, but they're so similar to each other, you can't just make sense of them at a glance. Like, does that one mean I get plus one, minus one when buying? Or does that mean plus one, minus one when placing? Or does that mean I get to take a tile from the board? Or does it mean I get to place one I already have on my board? And those questions come up constantly. While we had fun, I was reminded why I haven't talked to the end of this game and why I don't bring out my physical copy of this game all that often. Basically, what I used to do was only bring it out for people who already knew the game because I didn't want to go through that mess. So for years, people have been asking for a redesigned version of this game because of the issues I just mentioned and some more. And they did finally put out an anniversary edition but everything I've seen from people online and what I can tell looking at it myself is it hasn't actually addressed any of these issues. So I stayed away from it. So this is based on the original version, though I hear the new versions no better. Now, thankfully, the Board Game Arena version fixes all of these issues, all because of tooltips. If I move my mouse over a tile, it tells me exactly what it does. Plus, it does all the sorting and shuffling and it just goes to the next round and everything's there. So while it was nice to dust off this 10-year-old game, and get it physically to the table again, I think going forward, any of my actual plays of Castle, you know, Castles of Burgundy will be online. Now next up, also at Brenda's, we tried out Roll Camera for the first time. Now this is a review copy that only recently showed up, and I had no idea what to expect from this one. Uh, my good friend Mark Spector reached out and said, hey, will you review this for me? 
It's not one I did research ahead of time on, but I did know it was about making movies and it had dice. We found this to be a really solid cooperative game that does a fantastic job of integrating the movie making theme with the mechanics. It was extremely well balanced and had that perfect balance of tension where it's just tense enough that we're like, oh, we're doomed. We're going to run out of time. We're going to run out of time. Oh, wait, we've got this idea during this board meeting. We managed to do this and got us just enough time. And we were managed to overcome it and snagged a win. Not only a win, a win with the highest quality possible. Now, that was four players on easy, so it makes sense, right? We have established game players who play games together all the time, no cooperative games. Beating the easy mode with the best possible score isn't surprising, but there was still tension. What I am really looking forward to is ramping up that difficulty and making it even more tense and more difficult. Now, one bonus in this game I do want to mention here that I really liked and my family really liked were the RPG elements. Yes, this game has RPG elements that reminded me of Most Wanted, the superhero game. Every character type, like every every role you can play, has a special ability that comes into play in real life. It's like metagame, right? So one example of that is the star can call for silence. Everyone must silence. Everyone must be quiet. And we had a lot of fun with those thematic elements. Now, I'll be sharing a lot more about this one in the coming weeks as we get more plays in. There's even a small chance I'll be ready for the full review by our next live show if I can get in three more plays this week, but we'll see. Finally, Sean and I have been playing a ton of patchwork on Board Game Arena. And I just wanted to call out that this is pretty much a perfect implementation of the original game. They even offer up the alternative art, and you can even play the Americana version if that's something you prefer. You can change the tile selection from a circle around the play area to a straight line you can scroll through. I am extremely impressed by this BGA implementation. This one plays fast enough we can hammer out a real-time game in minutes, but also works great turn-based. While I'm not positive, where I'm not sure is if you need to be a subscriber to start this game, and I apologize for not checking that before recording. That may be possible because Sean and I are both subscribers, so we wouldn't notice if you can't launch it otherwise. If you are a subscriber, try it. If you're not, check it out. Strongly recommend Patchwork on Board Game Arena. Well, that's it for the games I've played over the last week. Find lots more great gaming content at tabletopbellhop.com and on the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, which drops Tuesday mornings at 2 a.m. You're also enjoying, invited to join Sean, Dan, and I for Sunday Brunch. This is an unscripted live show that goes live at 1 p.m. Eastern on Twitch on Sundays. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzno, the Tabletop Bellhop. Good night and game on. Hey there, everybody. This is Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers community here in Saskatoon. And uh, it's been a couple weeks, I think, since we've gone to the Facebook page where we have our What You've Been Playing Wednesday thread. And uh, let's have a look to see what the community's playing. And I'm having this feeling we're going to see some of the regulars. And uh, lo and behold, Hans has played The Magnificent a couple times. Cool. Uh, Furnace, that's a brand new one. Uh, Isle of Sky, Juicy Fruits, Azul, um, S-G-O-S. I don't think I know the, the, <laughs> the breakdown of that one, but he's played two of the Azuls. Uh, Terraforming Mars, Century Golem Edition, and Eastern Mountains. Um, those are a lot of good games. Furnace, I'm very curious about that one. And The Magnificent, Ryan has that one. 
And he speaks quite highly about it, but I believe it's a hard game to get. Uh, Moving to Jonathan, the voyages of Marco Polo and Patchwork. Uh, Ryan and I were talking about how how Patchwork is just such a solid game. And what a a brilliant little button economy that game has. So, um, yeah, it's it's probably one of my favorite two-player games. So... um, that's uh, Voyages of Marco Polo, and I keep wanting to run the joke in my head. Uh, Ryan, co-host, uh, didn't have the time to drop a segment, but he's got, so, well, because he's playing games. Look at this. He's got Marco Polo 2 in the service of Con and uh, Ashes Reborn. playing. He's playing a lot of that with Rob, and you could catch, I think they did seven games, and it's all... Uh, um, uh, VOD on our YouTube channel and uh, Zombie Teens Evolution four times. <laughs> I don't think he's playing that solo. So there we go. Yeah, and I, you know what? Ryan also was uh, come came out on social media with a bold statement saying that Marco Polo two was better than the first one. So there you go. Just like you know, I'm not going to get into it. Uh, here we go, Jason. Played Azul and Power Grid this week. Um, Power Grid, that's a game I haven't played in a long time. I had the game, got rid of it. Ah, man, I, may, I might need to have a look at that again, do some research. Um, Jeff. Jeff played uh, Azul, the regular one. Azul Stained Glass. Azul Summer something. <laughs> Century Golem. Furnace, Isle of Sky. They, this is a little bit of a repeat list here, isn't it? <laughs> Wondering if Jeff and Hans play games together. Well, I feel like Sherlock Holmes. Um, Eli, uh, Voyages of Marco Polo, Marvel Champions. Yeah, I've been playing that a lot. Uh, Masquerade uh, and Marvel Villainous. You know, uh, and Fort. Uh, but you know Marvel Villainous, that's the... Uh, the revamp of uh, Disney Villainous. And that I have Disney Villainous here. I don't get it played enough, but I bet you I will with Marvel Villainous. Hmm. Um, Tim played Kill Team. And uh, I haven't played that. I think that's like a, a minis kind of skirmish thing. Uh, and also, M-O-R-A, more Kill Team. Um yeah, I think that's a head-to-head, head-to-head, head-to-head thing. Oh, and there's another picture of a few others playing Sidereal Confluence. I think that's that high player count, a resource trading game. So, yeah, very cool. Oh, the uh, and Terraforming Mars and Retro Lunacy. I I don't know what that is, but it looks crazy good. Old school, stop it. Uh, Lane, Everdale, Marvel United, Machikoro Legacy, uh, Game 6 after an 18-month hiatus from Game 5. Do you even remember how to play? Jeez, that, that's a long time. That's like, in board game in board game time, that's like years. Uh, Ryan, uh, Ryan's, uh, Ryan F, uh, played a little bit of Wingspan and... Tomorrow, Vampire Rivals. Cool. Uh, Board on the air. Dave, we actually played a game, Cascadia. was great. 
more forgiving version of Calico, in his opinion. Uh, I lent, they, Dave and Jordan came over. We played, cast, I showed them Cascadia uh, and then uh, lent it to them so that uh, the whole family could give it a try. And uh, yeah, I, I really like that game. Man, flat out, they're coming out with some solid titles. Uh, Brian played Gloomhaven. He's got exclamation points. I thought I put some, put some jazz on it. Um, Gloomhaven. Yeah, that's so much fun. Mike, uh, he went to visit his sister and uh, her fiance for the weekend. Got a pile of games played and uh, enjoyed Red Rising, uh, 5211, and the Fuzzies. And uh, <laughs> that looks like an interesting lineup. Um, highly recommends Bunny Kingdom and uh, to avoid the expansion. So cool. Uh, one more. John played Feudum. Oh, you know what? I could feel my copy of Feudum behind me going, shame. Yeah, I feel shame. My copy's been sitting on the, on the shelf for way too long. You know, that might just inspire me. <laughs> um, but you know what? Uh, I had the chance to, uh, speaking of Dave and Jordan coming over, they also came over and uh, the, just most recently, and I uh, put a copy of uh, Public Market on the table, and that's designed by Molly Johnson, Robert Melvin, and Sean uh, Stankiewicz, I believe. Uh, publisher was, uh, was is Talent Strike Studios. Um, and I think there's a collaboration, a development collaboration with uh, Flatout as well. I think there's a, a great team that's starting to develop there. And so, public market is is uh, think of think of the the uh, Pacific Coast um, fisheries docks, and uh, you're, you're gonna you're getting there right now. So, um, I'll you know what it's a, I'm looking at the page and they've got a nice little short segment. So um, I'll get I'll give it a quick read for you. So head out to the sea and fish to fulfill contracts in order to gain points and emerge as the winner in this tile-laying engine-building game. Yes, it is. <laughs> in public market, players bid on and draft tiles to play into an ice chest. Once the ice chest is full, players can go to the market to sell their latest catch based on the current market values and to, compete, uh, to complete contract goals. Then they get a new ice chest and go back out to the open water to fulfill new contracts and play continues until the ocean bag is empty. Don't think of it as depleting the oceans. Think of it as a timer. <laughs> um, so this, yeah, this auction bidding, um, uh, more of a more of like a initiative bidding. Uh, and in your bid of what you're paying, you're also getting uh, uh, some smaller fish to uh, to put uh, in your ice chest as kind of uh, additional after pieces. Because the main fish part is uh, this dr cool drafting, polyomino drafting system where the, uh, there's four columns of five tiles in each column, and the, like the polyominoes, right? The Tetris tiles. Now, think of that as the column of water that a, that a boat fishes in, because you're going to have a, a little boat meeple that um, will, depending on who is the last in turn order, they get to decide where where the uh, the honey hole is for the boat to park above. And uh, that's how 
the timer works too because once that uh, once everybody once that round comes to a close all the fish or all the tiles that were there get cleaned out uh, taken out of the game and five new tiles go back in um, so there's there's that part which is so cool because on those tiles there are I, I'm, uh, there are four or five species of different fish that uh, have this speculation, not necessarily speculation track, but, but more so your, your track is the volume of each of these species of fish uh, are in your ice chest. Because when you come back, uh, you go to the market and sell these in three ways, I believe. One way is the, uh, the, the mechanism that drives the victory points and you're completing these large-scale uh, market orders. Then you've got the smaller um, engine-building part uh, orders, sort of like the, the, the catch-of-the-day kind of uh, little fish shacks on the pier kind of thing. And in those cards are a set-collecting uh, end-of-game um, fishery, like canneries uh, labels that you're trying to collect different sets for, you know, like set collecting. If you can collect the whole set, you get, you know, big points, and then, you know, it goes down as the sets decrease. So um, long story short, I, I'm liking this game. Um, I've played this a lot solo, and, it, and like all solo games, it just runs a lot, uh, a lot faster, right? But the more plays you get, the more thinking's going on, uh, the more... The more contemplation on your options and polyominoes. I mean, there's that whole visual uh, brain kind of uh, uh, orientations that you got to start working on. So um, I've also got the expansion, and uh, I, I'm curious to explore it. I, I really like what's going on so far, and uh, there's there's a lot more for me there uh, as far as the game goes, and uh, as far as as far as that puzzle challenge goes. And I like the theme. I'm a big fan of, of, uh, of the theme. So there you go. That's been a pretty good episode up to this, po up to this point because uh, I talk about fishing. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, as always, thank you so much for listening. And a uh, huge thank you uh, always go out to the content creators who collaborate. I could throw in some more alliteration there if you want. Um, uh, the Canadian content cl collaborators who created the current uh, <laughs> podcast. So thank you so much to everybody. And as always, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? <laughs>